0: Welcome back to this week's episode of Rising Giants with your host, Max and Dom, chatting with the boldest and most inspiring entrepreneurs and investors in the highest potential markets of Southeast Asia. The journey begins in Cambodia. On today's episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with Joey Ra. Joey is Cambodia's only certified professional co-active coach and the founder of Cambodia Coaching Institute, the country's first professional coaching training program. Born in Korea and raised in the UK, he now works to nurture and grow coaching in Cambodia and beyond surfing as a teacher and mentor to coaches in the region. In pursuit of this mission, he has trained over 100 leaders in Cambodia to be professional coaches or leader as coach. He has a particular interest in the impact of trauma on the long-term behaviors of individuals and communities. Joey has partnered with over 80 leaders around the globe, aiming for deep inner transformation that leads to lasting improvements in happiness and performance. In the episode, we dive into what it's like to build a coaching business from scratch in a country where the concept and industry still remain taboo and nascent, the key differences between psychiatrists, psychologists, and coaches, and Joey's ambition for helping spur and nurture Cambodia's next cohort of life coaches via his work at the Cambodia Coaching Institute. And also, don't hesitate to check out Joey's new podcast that explores mental, emotional, and spiritual wholeness called The Wholeness Show. And now, back to Joey.
1: Joey, thank you so much for uh, coming on Rising Giants today. Really excited to sit down and talk with you. Um, if you could just give our audience a brief introduction on yourself, that'd be great.
2: Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me on, Max and Don. Um, yeah, where, where to start? So I'm I'm a coach, um, I'm, a, I'm a life coach, I'm an executive coach um, and I'm Korean born. Um, I I, I was born in Korea, but I moved to the UK with my parents when I was about seven, and I spent maybe 20 years there, like growing up and working, Um, and then I came to Cambodia almost four years ago now. Um, Yeah, I've been here since like the start of 2018.
1: Okay, great, and and talk us through a little bit how you got to where you are today, how you how you ended up um, in the life coach field, and what were some of the things that you were doing before in your career uh, back in uh, UK, for example. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, good point. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I graduated with with a biochem degree uh, from Imperial College London, um, and I graduated with like no plans. Um, So I took a year to just doing some random jobs and I managed to get myself on a, on a grad program with Deloitte, which is one of the big four um, accounting firms. Uh, so that's how I ended up in like a corporate career, which is where I spent like the bulk of my professional career uh, until I got into coaching. Um, So I was in consulting, something around performance and and reward um, and ending up in HR working for, for a bank in London called Nomura. Um, Now, now, during this time, like, I realized, like, a couple of years in, that this field was probably not for me. Um, Like, so I I left Deloitte after a few years there, um, and I moved to Prudential, and within, like, a few months of working at Prudential, like I, I lost my younger brother, so he 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 died like within a few months of me joining Prudential, and that was like a wake up call. And I thought to myself, it made me look at my life and say, "Look, like, is this how I want to live the rest of rest of my life with the time I've got?" Um, and the answer was no. Um, I so that kind of began my soul searching journey. Um. But it was only after I moved jobs again and I was working for a bank that I realized, look, enough is enough. Um, I looked 10 years down the line and I thought, if my career went perfectly in this job, like where would I end up? And I looked at my boss and what he did, like, uh, you know, the the very senior boss. And I was like, yeah, this is not the job that I want. Um, So I started to look around like having the quarter life crisis a bit late Um, but I started looking around at what I could do instead and I went on this program in London called escape the city which is like a group program where they take um, a, a group of dissatisfied corporate professionals and help them find a new career and that was a process of three months where I got to examine myself examine my my strengths, what I really enjoyed, and how what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Like, what, what was my what the impact that I wanted to create in the world? Um, and through a series of experimentations, I got introduced to coaching, and I realized that, yeah, this is potentially something that I could do, something that I could dedicate my life to. Um, so I took some, like a foundational coaching training in London, Um, with my coaching school, CTI. Um, Then I decided to take a year out of working and travel the world. And it was in that period that I came to Cambodia and decided to stay. Um, And and while in Cambodia, so I I came here kind of out of luck, really. Um, But as I stayed here, I began to discover a new purpose for me. So like the energy of Cambodia really struck a chord, like the combination of the deep trauma that I felt in the country, um, which resonated with the trauma that I was carrying inside, um, like my, my the grief from my brother passing away and other traumas that I held from before. So that resonated and that attracted me. Um, but also I really admired like the creative energy that's going on here. So like all this, Youth full of passion for entrepreneurship, or these creative artists coming up um, wanting to make a better future for themselves. And I felt like I could play a role in that. So, this is where I decided why I decided to stay in Cambodia uh, longer term. I dedicated myself to deepening my training in coaching. Um, yeah, and everything really went from, from there.
1: Thank you so much for giving that. Um really in-detailed background. Um, what, what, are, what, are some, what are a few key things that you that you know now that you wish you'd been told day one in Cambodia?
2: I'm not sure about that one. I feel like I really like the process of discovering gradually, um, like knowledge and wisdom comes with time. Um, I feel like I've gotten to, the, like I had a lot of judgments about Cambodia in the, in the first place. Uh, it's like when you get into a new, like relationship, right? When you start start dating someone, you see, you you make a lot of judgments about them, both good and bad. You have all this excitement and then you have all these things that you don't like, but then as you spend time and develop that relationship, it's like you discover something more and you can't rush that thing. Um, so I guess that's my, that's where I sit with that question.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That was a bit, a bit of a curveball question we sometimes ask people Um. and and what was that sort of inspiration that really made you want to want to go into the mental health field and like focus on it within Cambodia? How did that how did that sort of play out for you? And was it easy to then sort of find clients and actually um, work in the in the space?
2: Mm. So I, I'll I'll deal with that question in in two parts. Uh, so first one is about like being inspired to do do my work here, right? Um, one of the things that really started resonating as I sp- spent more time in Cambodia was just noticing the trauma that's present within society. It's like there was the Khmer Rouge and then like obviously lots of people went through tremendous suffering and trauma be- be- as a result of that. And so, and so that's that's obvious, you can see that. But then, what I also found very interesting was seeing the trauma in the next generation, um, who never even, who never went through the Khmer Rouge. Um, so, people of our age, you know, we have it's a big range, but you know, twenties, thirties, forties, who who didn't experience the Khmer Rouge directly, but who carry the wounds of their um, predecessors, of the of their parents, and and looking at them, I really saw like looking at our peers, I saw the trauma of like my parents in Korea. So Korea went through extreme hardship after the Second World War. My grandparents grew up in extreme poverty and they built up everything from scratch. My parents' generation is the one that came afterwards. Um, But they like, I I see in my parents the trauma of um, my grandparents. And I see my parents now becoming aware of the trauma they carry and and healing that. For the last, like, 10 years, I've seen them um, try to heal these wounds. And, like, Korean society now, I see having not dealt with the trauma properly, having had the trauma passed on, I see a lot of, like, people see a lot of goods and developments in in Korea, right? But there's a whole lot of social problems as well. And I I take that to be a result of the trauma that's not been addressed. Um, And then carrying that lesson over to Cambodia, I'm seeing like Cambodia is going through economic boom. We have a generation who haven't experienced the trauma directly. Actually, that's not true. They have, but not the Khmer Rouge trauma. But I see Cambodia developing a lot. Um, And my heart for Cambodia is like, as we develop, if we don't address the wounds that we carry, we're going, it might end up like Korea where, um, like, you might get great economic development, but end up with a lot of social problems. Um, and that's where I thought I could make a, a, an impact, because it's, it's a very, um, this generation, and, you know, is the land of opportunity. Um, and for that reason, um, I was thinking, look, if I, I can make a real difference here to a whole lot of people that come up, to the society that's going to come after us um, with with the work I do and the work my my colleagues in the field do as well.
1: Great. And could you just give us an understanding of where the work you does kind of fits within this spectrum of uh, mental health, um, psychiatry, therapy, life coach? If you could just give the the audience a bit of a framing of how, how you sit within that space.
2: Yeah. Um, so uh, first of all, gonna caveat and say that there are a lot of overlaps. Um, and so these are just generic kind of boxes, but they are helpful. So on on the, uh, on the one extreme, you get psychiatrists who are trained doctors, um, and you know, doctors, they look at illness, right? They look at disease and disorders. So the psychiatrist on one hand will deal with extreme mental disorders. They'll diagnose and treat um, medically, but also now psychiatry is developing so that they learn how to not just go to medicine, but also engage in like psychiatrists. And now a lot of them are trained in psychotherapy, other interventions to, to help support those who are mentally ill. Then in the middle, I guess you have what's called therapists. And then on the other side, it's the space that I operate in as coaches. Um, so therapy and coaching Overlaps a lot, um, so I don't want to make too many generalizations. But one, like how I would look at it as a client, potentially looking at coaching and therapy, is like if you draw a horizontal line, and above there is functioning, and below is not functioning. Most of us we fluctuate uh, above and below the line. Um, there, I would go to a therapist if I'm feeling like I'm going below the line into not functioning more often um, than not, to, to go to bring them to the line of functioning. I would go to a coach if I feel like, yeah, okay, I know I dip below the line sometimes and I'm not functioning sometimes, um, but I'd go to a coach for myself if I want to raise my game to the next level to go from fun- generally functioning to super high functioning. Does that, does that kind of make sense?
1: Yeah, that that does make sense. But yeah, th- thank you for uh, explaining that in more detail. Um, what has it been like, uh, s- sort of working within that new emerging space and seeing people starting to be more comfortable with with uh, finding themselves coaches and and dealing with their sort of mental mental health or, as you say, wholeness.
2: Yeah. So I'll deal with it in like two, two, two sections. So. I love the fact that Cambodia is now becoming more and more aware of this issue of mental health. So mental health was a big taboo um, for a long time. And to an extent it still is, but you have great projects now bringing mental health um, to, to light. So you have projects like Aram Station um, were doing great work, um, like, bringing, like bringing awareness to mental, mental illnesses and mental health. Um, And you have pioneers like Satiri Yim, who's been working on trauma for such a long time. Satiri is a therapist, also training as a coach. Um, So I I love that this field is developing. Um, My wish, my personal wish uh, as we continue on is that we also look at wholeness as well as mental health. So we can, again, the below-the-line thing, we can, as a society, often focus on what's lacking. We focus on disorders. We talk about depression. We talk about OCD. And this is really great because people suffer from these things, and it's good to raise awareness of it. And I, so, I, so with the field, I'm very excited that this is coming up, and I want to be um, bring something to that so that we talk about wholeness, what it's like, um, what society could be like if we operate from, um, from a more whole space, like emotional wholeness, mental wholeness, spiritual wholeness, physical wholeness, if we bring that to the occasion, what what society might be like. Um, so that that's my view on the field. Um, personally, for me as a coach, like, Again, it's it, <laughs> it might sound a bit weird to call myself a pioneer, but but that's really what I am. There are very few, few of us coaches um, in Cambodia and the numbers grown even in my time here. So when I first came here, there was none, nobody. I think maybe one person um, who did coaching training before. Um, now I know there's at least 10 of us, maybe even 20, and the number's growing. Um, especially in the like the business areas. So in the corporate world, coaching is becoming a huge thing. It's a buzzword. Um, international companies are investing so much money in coaching because it's shown to improve performance in the workforce, right? It, there's a lot of research into it already. Even in Cambodia now, companies are implementing, trying to implement coaching cultures. They're investing money in coaching training. Um, so that's been great for me to play a part in that um like as one of the first entrants in this new market it's it's very it's a blessing for me to be here um and and at the same time it's a great opportunity to for me to impart my own uh, philosophy of coaching um in, in this country as well especially in the corporate area where the tendency has been to look at coaching kind of as a way to manage as a way to as a glorified way of problem solving. Um, so coaching as a skill, if that makes sense. And my heart is to bring coaching as a way of being um, into, into the corporates. So things like um, moving from a, like a task-based culture to a relational culture where like the manager really cares about you and your development um, and is looking to nurture you rather than look you're here as a human resource so that we can hit the bottom line if that makes sense and this like mindset shift um, is the a big part of coaching as well and one which i'm excited to be a part of in cambodia
1: okay and in what what percent of your works is split between individuals versus corporates at this point
2: um recently uh, it's been a lot of corporates, uh, but it's, I'm gonna, but generally it's mostly one-on-one clients um, and companies or like organizations like Eurochan will approach me um, and ask to train their leaders in coaching and how they can use um, the lessons from coaching to, to incorporate into their leadership. I'd say, you know, if you're doing a percentage, maybe 75% would be individual clients and 25% and corporate.
1: Okay. And just out of curiosity, do you have any like uh, mentors or people that you aspire to within the coaching field globally that you think um, are a good sort of, a good sort of reference point for people listening?
2: Um, yeah. So I have a great community of coaches through my, um, the coaching school that I trained with, Coactive Training Institute, they are like the oldest and the, one of the most reputable coaching schools in the world. And through that, I get access to like, like extremely, extremely experienced coaches, you know, coaches who have been uh, there since the beginning of coaching. So like people with 20 years experience plus, um, and also a, a peer community. So we, yeah so a lot of uh, peer support and a lot of mentors who help guide um because you know I'm, I'm trying to build up coaching as a industry as a profession in cambodia and it's great to tap into the wisdom of others who've done it in other countries if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah that does and that leads us on to what you built as the cambodian coaching institute could you tell us a little bit more about that and how that how that
2: operates <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> this is a funny story actually. Um, yeah, so Cambodia Coaching Institute is, is, is very nascent, it's very new. Um, that actually came about last year. So early 2020, I started to speak out this wish. I started to tell people that I want to develop and train the first generation of Cambodian coaches. Um, I saw because I was looking at my work here and how I'm going to impact Cambodia, and I was like, I, "It can't be me developing this field in Cambodia. Like, it will have to be taken on by, like, like the Khmer people um, to really make the difference in society." So I started speaking, but I, what I thought my role could be is taking the knowledge that I got and the resources that I have access to to use it to train the first generation promoting coaches. I expected this to have happened maybe in five years, but COVID hit. And so I started sharing this stream early on, but COVID hit and in April um, someone came to me and said, uh, yeah, so I took voluntary redundancy to save my team. Um, I heard you say that you want to train the first generation of Cambodian coaches. Uh, I wanna be that first cohort. Can you train us? Um, I said, no, because I was planning on doing it within a few years, not not within a few months of starting to say it. Um, But she insisted and I gave her a challenge. I said, uh, if you can find, uh, I can't just train you, it needs to be a group. If you can find, Five other people um, who want to get this professional level of training uh, for a period of four months, then I will I will train you. So I was leaving it kind of up to her and the universe, if you if you want to call it that. Um, within, within a month, she came back and said, "The car six people train us," and so I couldn't say no, right? So then I put a put a curriculum together very quickly. Um, And I took this pioneer group of six people um, through the curriculum. And and this is how Cambodia Coaching Institute was born, Um, way ahead of expectation and kind of like a minimal viable product, if you want to call it that. Um, So, so far we've taken, uh, yeah, six people through a four month curriculum. Uh, We have interest in a second one, but again, Like I have no interest right now in dedicating energy. I don't think the market demand is there, right? For to be like a proper school with students coming in consistently and me having to uh, hire people, hire a building and hire like and recruit students. I don't think we're there yet in the Cambodian market. So I'm kind of leaving it the same as the first cohort. Um, I have people who are interested when it reaches a certain number, we're going to run a second cohort. and, and this is really how I view Cambodia Coaching Institute. Um, at the same time, um, I, as I said, I'm running these corporate coaching. So maybe they will combine to be the same thing at some point in the in the near future because actually in the corporate, there is definitely a demand for coaching and coaching training. Um, so that may be where we make Cambodia Coaching Institute a more formal thing. Um like a registered business. Um, yeah, that's that's where it is now. and that's where I might see it going in the future.
1: Great. yeah, this is something that we always do discuss with entrepreneurs. It's like do you have the product market fit? and like as you're saying, the market is maybe ready for some degree of coaching, but maybe not as as much as um, as as you as you were saying
2: what, what is that? And, and so yeah and, and here, I just want to um. Or clarify So there is definite demand in the market for coaching. Um, and I want to talk more about that in a second. What there isn't a the demand for is <laughs> is coaching training. So that so that's the Cambodia Coaching Institute that we want to bring up. It's the coaching training um, Institute. There is the demand in coaching um, in Cambodia for sure. Um, but one of the main issues that we face as coaches is, the misconception and misunderstanding of what even coaching is and how we can help um, if that, if that makes sense. Like even what, what are the our, biggest yeah.
1: misconceptions do you think?
2: Like the first big misconception is like, they think coaching might be something like advice giving or guidance or training. So the first thing that people think is their experience of coaching. And their experience of coaching would generally be like sports coaching in school. Like the experience of coaching is sports coaches in school. And that's very much like they tell you what to do to train you up, right? Um, so, so that's the biggest misconception. Whereas the, the coaching that we do is more like elite sports coaching um, because we're dealing with adults here generally and we're dealing with high performers. So if you think about, like, this is example I give. If you think about the best football player in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi, whichever one, like, they have coaches. Their coaches do not teach them how to kick a ball, how to do football. What the coaches do is help the football players, like, get more self-aware, like, see the things they can't see, and then let them do their thing help them perform even better they're not teaching anything so so that's one of the biggest misconceptions of of what coaching is um that it's like teaching or training or mentoring and and it's something completely different
1: okay yeah thank thank, thanks for explaining that um and what has it been like working with um, individual clients over the years how is that how has that um journey been for you has have you seen more demand from from individuals just for this this type of coaching as the years have gone on and how and yeah just out of curiosity how has COVID impacted your business
2: Mm. I'll start with a COVID one um COVID has been actually it's terrible for the community and society and like just in terms of business it's been very good personally for coaching because COVID has provided an it's, it's a mandated pause. And a lot of people are starting to self-reflect and look at their lives and ask themselves, look, is this what I want from my life? So like people talk about COVID as the apocalypse sometimes because it's like the end of the world and every, like, there's disease and everybody's scared. But the word apocalypse actually means it's a revelation. It means the peeling back of revealing what was hidden. And really, I genuinely believe that COVID has been like that for a lot of people. Like it's revealed systemic issues that people weren't looking at before. It's revealed issues inside you that you haven't dealt with. It's revealed some things within the relationships, the relationships that you have um, that you haven't been looking at. And when that happens, um, like people might go, oh, what do I do with it? I don't know how to navigate this. So a lot of people have reached out um, for coaching during COVID. Um, how had, and yeah, so that that's the general, that's a general market, um, like on, on a personal level, like I, I've always had clients internationally. So they've been a mainstay. But what I have noticed that in the last couple of years, um, I've been getting more and more requests from within Cambodia. Um, from uh, and a lot of them are like foreign but slowly the interest from local like Cambodians are also growing because as the awareness of things like mental wellness and mental health grows so they're starting to understand what therapy is they're starting to starting slower but starting to understand what coaching is and so that's also growing
1: if there's definitely been a a spike in people looking for um coaching at at this time. And and just out of curiosity, what what, like how do you believe um the physical versus the non-physical coaching um actually impacts what you do? Like having someone come and do a session with you face to face versus doing it over Zoom?
2: Yeah. That's a that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked me that because it helps me think. Um, Like most of coaching worldwide is done through zoom it always has been um so it's nothing it's not been anything new for us as as coaches um it's it's opened up for the clients um it's helped them become more open to doing it online because often clients feel like they want to come in person and talk face to face and have a space and, and that's fine um so that's been a shift that they've been more open to doing it online because also it's safer when, when we're worried about COVID spreading. Um, the difference that I feel as a coach is, again, like I, I think coaching can be just as effective online as in person. But one of the things that I'm experimenting with um, in coaching in person is using my, my physicality to impact the client who's sitting in front of me because when you're in a room with someone um, you feed off like we can call it energy right but we're talking body posture and presence and all of that stuff like you have an energy that you bring when you enter the room and as coaches if we do the work we can learn to use our physical presence to impact the clients in certain ways um, so that's something that I'm experimenting with my in-person clients now uh, it's something that we can't do online, but we do other things instead, like get them to move their bodies and stuff. Um, but th- that's one difference that I that I like to highlight.
1: Okay, and, and last question for me before I uh, hand the floor to Dom: What have been um, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you that you've had to deal with when when growing this this business and uh, this sort of coaching uh, revolution that's happening? Hmm.
2: I mean, there's lots, things like imposter syndrome, feeling like people don't get it, feeling like, like, am I crazy trying to build this up? Will I ever make a, um, a good enough living? It's fine now, but like, if I'm having family and future plans, like, is this gonna work? And all, all of that goes on in my mind. Um, feeling misunderstood. Um, it's like a foreigner coming in and trying to bring their foreign concepts into this country. Like all, all of this are, are challenges But I think the biggest challenge for me has been learning to be patient. Um, Because underneath all of this imposter syndrome, all these worries is a drive to get things done and a drive to like, no, I need to achieve this now. I need to achieve this now. And the biggest lesson for me has been to be patient, to take my time and to realize that, yeah, things take time. Like every failure, (laughs) every like, initiative that failed, I don't believe in failures, but everything that hasn't worked out is because I try to rush things before it's time. And I know in the, um, like in society, we're told, okay, faster, 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 we need to get this to market, we need achievement, you know, we need results now. And I remember talking to a friend, a, a very wise friend, um, but she's in the entrepreneurial space. And she was like, you know, Joe, you need to grow your revenue by four times, 10 times every year. In year one and year two, otherwise, like, it's a failure. Um, so I, I for, but that mindset has, has not been good for me. And I don't think it's good for a lot of people and even a lot of startups. So learning to take things slow, but naturally, I'm an impatient person. I want to achieve results. I want milestones and all of that really quickly. So learning to get over that and invite spaciousness and patience into my life, um, that's been the biggest challenge but also one that's brought me the greatest results in my business as well so being patient has paid off
0: Thank you and couldn't agree more especially as you take times to take time to create or uh, develop uh, maybe it's a coaching framework or figuring out a way to you know tailor your philosophy and trying to as you said you know be patient with 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 when you enter into a new country and, and kind of coming with, with your background and knowledge and, and trying to find that ground of uh, how can I be able to, you know, best uh, send the message that I'm trying to send. Um, is very, uh, is very interesting. Uh, I, I guess in that case, looking at the way that you interact with clients, um, do you, do you have a, a framework or a philosophy that you, follow that's kind of uh, a guiding star or is it does Mm -hmm. that change um as you interact with different clients and and their needs
2: that's such a good question dom Um, one of the things i don't do is i don't have like a model that i follow it's not like a a process that i follow for different clients Um, because that's not how coaching works but I love the way you framed it. It's like, is there a guiding star? And, and yes, there, there are there are a few that keep me on, on track, which is in my training, in my coaching school, we have a philosophy that people are naturally creative, resourceful and whole. That naturally people have all the answers and all the coach's job is to, to do is to help them get in touch with that natural creativeness and resourcefulness because they don't always have access to it. Um, sometimes they're in a state in the moment or like longer term. So sometimes like something happens and then you're in a, like a hijacked state, you're, you're in a fearful state and you can't perform at your best, right? You're not in your natural state. Um, so helping the shift out of that or longer term, like if you're in a, State for a long time, it gets embodied into like how you are. So you might have someone who's very, very timid, and this is built up over time and it's become a natural state. So how want to shift out of their core states? That's one thing I do, um, so that they can tap into their natural, creative, um, resourceful state. So that's one. The other one is, um, so that's shifting states. The other one that I hold is to help nurture their nature. So we all have like, we can call it our true selves. Um, and we pretend, we, we, we spend a lot of time trying to conform and be what society tells us we need to improve in. But what I hold is you have your own strengths and you have your own way of being, you have your own nature, Dominic. And my job as your coach would be to help bring that out to nurture um, your strengths and included that is like the stuff that you don't like to look at like your what you judge as negative traits helping you accept that instead of ignoring it suppressing it hiding it away um and that yeah so all in all the, the philosophy is about wholeness so seeing that people are naturally whole and helping them come back to that wholeness that that's that's my approach
0: And thinking a little bit more on, on something that you had just mentioned there at the end, and it's with, with people identifying their strengths. And is that something that with your clients, do they already have that in mind in, in what they know are their strengths, or is there a balance where you are to, that you, uh, help coach them with identifying these, uh, with these, these strengths that they have I'm just, just curious to learn a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes to both. Cause some people have a great deal of awareness. Um, they already know what their strengths are. I'd, I'd say most of us do know what our strengths are, but we just forgotten. And that was my personal experience too. Um, like I thought, my strengths were the skills and strength that I demonstrated at work in my previous job, like analytical stuff, and that is my strength. But my deeper strength is creating space, connecting to people, seeing in like the empathy, the compassion, um, and seeing into the soul of people, if, if I were to use that language. Um, so again, I needed somebody to help me see and remind remind myself that I have this in me. Um, and and that is the gift that I I try to give my clients too.
0: Yeah, I I, I do agree with that as well. That uh, a lot of times when you're maybe it's we'll, we'll take the work aspect of it. If 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 you're working with a, an entrepreneur who's leading a startup and a team, you can be completely you know encapsulated in this in this life and and kind of focusing on driving success to the business that you may think of these other uh, interpersonal uh, strengths that you have may it be empathy that could potentially fall to the wayside while you're trying to focus on these uh, very tangible goals whether it is meeting um, you know a bottom line or, or something like this and um, I think it's very interesting that it's it, it's viewed from both sides in, in the sense uh, in that sense to what extent do you see uh, Cambodia, Um, being a high potential market in Southeast Asia for um, wellness coaching over the next coming years?
2: Yeah, I I see it as a huge huge potential and behind potential is need, right? I see a great need in society. My people are crying out for it. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't realize that they are, but, but they are. Um, and there's not so how I look. I can talk about it from like the bottom line perspective and like potential, and I can take advantage of the market, etc. Being the first one here, but the way I like to look at it is like there are so many people needing our services, needing the the gifts that we have for them. Like we need. So my desire is not for I don't I don't. My desire is for there to be lots of so-called competitors that I see them as allies because we are not enough to serve the needs of the country right now. We need more and more people. We need more therapists. We need more coaches. We need um, more skilled psychiatrists to, to serve the needs of this growing country. Um, I, I talk about this a lot I, in an article that I wrote um, with, with a colleague for an upcoming um, publication with EuroCham and Kes about the future of work. So Cambodia is entering, trying to shift away from garment manufacturing, manufacturing to uh, the digital economy. And part of that is upskilling, but a huge other part of that is dealing with um, like the, mindset, the 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 traumas. They talk about lack of critical skills and lack of speaking up, but behind that is not teaching them in theory how to do that. We have to understand the reason why people don't speak up now is because of trauma is because of the way the culture is and the way to shift that is with more people like us coming to serve the community um, so that's really what i see and there aren't enough of us right now there are starting to be in thailand in vietnam in, in, everywhere, else in re- everywhere else in the region in cambodia we're so understaffed and transitioning
0: to uh, our next section and in- it would be really great to jump into some habits and advice and interpersonal um, per- perceptions and perspectives that you have. Um, the As the first question i like to ask is, what are some of the habits that you install in yourself to stay motivated or self-accountable?
2: Mm. I don't know if this would count as a habit but I have a session every two weeks with a coach, with a, with a long-term coach. And that's a structure that I use to um, reflect and deepen my awareness of myself so that I can um, serve my community better. So, so that's one. Um, so, so that's the structure I keep. Um, aside from that, one of the most, one of the many life-changing things that I've taken on is, I don't know what to call it. We can call it mindfulness. Um, it's, it's taking moments out to whatever practices you have. Um, the way I do it is at several points in a day, I take a moment to ground myself in my physical body. Um, so I'd focus on a physical sensation, focus on a sound, focus on my breath just for a couple of minutes um, as a practice of taking yourself out of your head. And because the head is where your mind runs wild and and you get hijacked and to really grab myself in my body. Um, Also what this does is we have areas in our brain, which causes us to operate like in our less resourceful state, like the fight or flight mode, defensiveness, it's the lesser regions of our brain. And when we take these moments of mindfulness, if you do an fMRI scan, you notice that those areas quieten down and your like higher functioning areas light up. But most of us, when we run around our lives, it's, it's, the, it's the lesser mind that's running the show. We're always rushing, always stressed, um, always fearful and acting out of fear. Um, so taking these moments have been a huge, um, huge help because I always knew this in concept, but making a daily practice has, has been life-changing. And if you spoken to me two years ago, I would feel very different to you when you're speaking to me, um, much less grounded, much more high pitched, much more high paced. Um, so that's been something that I adopted.
0: And with that, do you feel, or did you experience any difficulty with keeping consistency in terms of these grounding and mindfulness practices? Uh, I, 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 you know, personally, um, one of the difficulties that I have, especially with, with meditating is, is, I guess, consistently uh, keeping up with it and being deliberate on, you know, making, making a time to be able to do it. I feel like there are always instances within the day that, you know, I'm either caught up with work or something has come up and, you know, I honestly just fall back on it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, so yeah, I was curious if consistently, consistency around that has, was ever difficult for you.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So what I do is like meditation is great long term, long form meditation is amazing. And if you can get into the habit of doing that, that's amazing. And there's two issues to traditional meditation. One is that um, it, it's hard to keep up. But then two is, it's done as a long chunk, either at the beginning of the day, or at the end of the day, or in a calm space. Um, it has long term benefits for you. And like, that is not where you spend. Our brain is contextual. And um, like at home uh, in the morning and the evening is not necessarily where leaders, where you um, need this grounded presence. It is during the day when you're at work, when things are flying in your face to remain grounded and not hijacked by your lesser brain. Um, so what was helpful was breaking the the mindfulness exercises down into really small chunks, two minutes, five times a day, but spread out during the day so that you experience what it's like to to be grounded at work and you experience the benefits of it. So your brain knows that at work I can be grounded, I can ground myself. that, that's the way it worked for me. So sticking to a habit for trying to build this habit over a period of seven, eight weeks. So I have a program. I went through a program um, that, was, that was important in getting into that habit. And there was an app I used to support that. Um, now that I have developed uh, the habit and the muscles to recognize when I'm getting hijacked, um, I also just, whenever I'm feeling weird in my body, whenever I feel anxious, or triggered i take that as a trigger to calm myself down if that makes sense so this is i use the trigger um of the daily stresses of life as a way to build up this mindfulness muscle is, does that make sense
0: yes it does in that yeah, in, yeah. in that introspective nature as well to be able to to grow that develop it and to really um acknowledge your feelings in that moment and and to i guess purposefully uh, divert or not purposely divert, but to purposely focus on this, um, can, can really help with, um, making that consistency, you know, in combination with finding a downtime in your life where your brain has a little bit of time to relax and to have a little bit more freedom and, and, you know, uh, instead of, uh, maybe direct things to focus on or, um, you know, deadlines to hit or things like this.
2: Um, Yeah. Actually, can I add something on that? Because you just made me think of something, and I think it might be beneficial. Like, one of the biggest learnings for me is learning how to deal with my emotions. Like I'm a hugely emotional person and, you know, very reactive as well because I feel the emotion very strongly in my body and it's an intense sensation and it's unpleasant sometimes and I want to get rid of it. So I react out of it to get rid of the emotion, whether it's shouting or... Whatever. Um, One of the biggest lessons for me, and I think the biggest gift for anybody listening, would be when you have an emotion, don't try to analyze it, don't try to think about it. Just get into the practice of feeling it where it is in your body. And that has the effect of calming down your brain. It will also help you be less reactive. Um, And you'll find that the fear is that you'll get into the emotion. Like if you're feeling angry, like you want to just suppress it sometimes at work because you're not allowed to be angry. But instead, try just sitting with this anger, f- experience the physical sensation, the anger in your body, and notice it drift away after, after 30 to 90 seconds. And then do what you will afterwards. But that's been the, a life-changing thing for me, learning how to sit with my emotions instead of reacting as a result of it or trying to suppress it.
0: Yeah, that, that is definitely something I will focus on as well next time I uh, stub my toe or or hit my elbow on something as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we're on the topic of of habits, I think it would be a, it would be great to look at it from the other side as well and to ask, what is an unusual habit or call it be an absurd thing that you
2: love? I'm stumped, and I'm sorry. It's because I don't really have that many habits. <laughs> um, I, maybe I do, I just never thought about it that way. I, I have my coffee in the morning. I have, okay, <laughs> uh, this is how I start This is how I start my morning. Uh, I'll get up, drop my girlfriend at work, and then come back home, switch on the laptop, pour myself one big, a pint of water, stick a Barocco in it, and then have another pint of iced coffee. It's what I do every morning. And without that, I don't feel right.
0: <laughs> okay yeah that that perfect yeah well uh yeah i, I guess it's It's hard when you kind of reflect on on the habits that you have and coming come to like like thinking of them on the spot i guess right
2: <laughs> yeah and the thing is because I, I used to think a lot like that before because i was really into tim ferris and developing habits and routines but I, i've kind of moved away from that um like being intentional about the habits i said i don't know if that's good or bad but yeah I I, I'm not so intentional with the habits that I set
0: something that would be interesting would be to talk a little bit about what you would consider has been your biggest failure and what is it that you have learned from that
2: well one is I'm I'm divorced and so I was married before for, for seven years and there's a lot of lessons that I learned from that um the, the other one is, I, again, the, another personal example is just looking at how I lived um, like before or even after, but like, because I, I lost my younger brother and just looking at how I lived before, not being intentional about the relationships, not making time, um, not connecting with humans that are important to me. Um, I think that was a big failure. I see a lot of failures there and a lot of lessons that I learned that's been formative for me. And
0: our traditional closing question that we like to ask each of our guests is what is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given?
2: Once an affirmation. The most powerful piece of affirmation I've been given is that you are good. That I am a good person, because I think we can judge, we spend a lot of time judging ourselves and acting out of that judgment. Um, it's a constant reminder that I am good despite all my, all my failings, all the stuff that I judge myself for, um, and that there's always a redemption arc. Um, I have, actually have a tattoo to that effect in Hebrew on my chest. Um, And related to that, the advice is invest in yourself. Um, That's, yeah, you are good. There's always a redemption arc and invest in yourself because you are the best investment. Because I used to spend money on so many other things, but once I learned to spend money on myself for the sake of my future and my present, um, a lot of things changed. Yeah. Thinking about the way
0: that you can spend money, uh, especially I I see this sometimes in myself too. It's you have a comparison of making of maybe taking a hundred dollars and you can invest it in something that would help you uh, investing in yourself in terms of whether it be a class or a new skill or something that you would like to do. But in some cases you might look at it and, and, let's say purchase something else that is more of a, a, a desire or something that you would want in that moment. And um, it's it's definitely very important to invest in yourself and to continue to grow as, uh, in my view, I think, you know, one of the greatest goals is to try to become the best person that you see in yourself and um, investing in yourself is, is the foundation of that. So,
2: yeah, like I, I remember... I used to when I was working. I used to spend hundreds of dollars in suits, right? Um, I mean, I, I I still like my suits. So I still yeah, do that. There's nothing wrong but with that what, at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I but what I didn't do, what I wouldn't do, is like, oh my god, seeing a therapist is a hundred bucks. That's that's so expensive. Or taking this training course is is a thousand dollars. But once I was able to shift out of that, it's like I spend. <laughs> I spent I spent hundreds of dollars on my coach a month. Um, and I could and I could think to myself, oh, I could do that spending on other things, but or like I could use that to give, but then the mindset shift has been like the investment that I'm giving myself to be more whole, to be more effective, to be wiser. This is a gift to myself, it's a gift to those I love, and it's the gift to my mission. So that's been that's been a big shift. And it's and I hope um you know, I'm not saying go spend hundreds of dollars on yourself if you don't have it, but having that mindset shift is something that I would encourage for everybody um, Yeah, to gift it to yourself, the ones you love, and those around you. Couldn't agree more. And Joey, thank you so
0: much for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate learning about your journey and your perspectives and a lot more about the, the wellness coaching space in Cambodia. And we really look forward to seeing everything that you and your colleagues will accomplish uh, in the near future as well. Yeah, thanks
2: very much for having me on guys. It's been a pleasure.